Hello, everyone, and welcome to week two of the Hurry and Yelp podcast. Today, we are going to go over a little bit of what we got right, what we got wrong from last week. We're going to talk a little bit about week two in college football. There's some very good games coming up, and we're going to talk about week one in the NFL. Football is in full swing, so here we go. First off, we are drinking... The Yeti Imperial Stout from the Great Divide Brewing Company in the great city of Denver, Colorado. One of the birthplaces of craft brewing. Did you know that? I knew it as the birthplace of Coors Light, which I don't call craft brewing. But this is a damn good beer. It's nice and filling. I am a huge Porter fan. You will learn that very quick to all of our listeners once we get some. Just kidding. But I uh, love porters, love dark beer, so this is right up my alley. So let's get right into this with some uh, what we got right from last week. Big game was Alabama-Florida State. Uh, we got that one pretty much spot on. Unfortunately, our listeners do not know that due to a technical difficulty. We guess that Alabama would win relatively easily. And Florida State's quarterback would get hurt because of Florida State's uh, protection issues. But I did not guess that it would be, unfortunately, a season-ending injury. He's a really good player. So that's a damn shame. It is a damn shame. What we got wrong about that game is a defensive or special teams touchdown. Alabama blocked a punt, only returned it to the six. They didn't get it all the way. So I'm sure Saban... Had some bones to pick about that because he's never satisfied. We also had some trouble in the kicking game, which uh, has reared its ugly head in the past. He does not like to use scholarships on kickers, and that that cost him at least one national championship. It's really surprising to me with the emphasis that he places on special teams that he doesn't put a kicker on scholarship. If you were signing four- and five-star athletes, and you could get a full battery of them. And then you have the option of getting it to some hack kicker that can probably just walk on. Then I see a lot of SEC schools do that. That's it's, be- it's a de-emphasis these days. It's because a lot of people just want to play in the SEC, so they're willing to walk on, I guess. Another game that we got right uh, last week, Michigan-Florida. That was easy. That was probably the easiest one of the weekend. Michigan was a slow bleed. Florida stuck with them for a quarter, quarter and a half. But Michigan pulled away based on their offensive line. Halftime adjustments, depth, running game, just grinding away. And Speaking of grinding and running away, LSU. LSU 27-0 over BYU. Didn't think it was going to be a shutout. I thought BYU was going to be able to hang with them a little bit. LSU looked very good defensively in that one. It remains to be seen if LSU is able to score enough points when it comes down to it because they're not going to pitch a shutout every game. They got a great defensive coordinator, but you're not going to shut. You're, you got, you're going to have to be able to score upper 30s if you want to be a national title contender. So we'll see going forward if that's going to be something that's a problem. Another one that I got right, he didn't disagree with, was the University of Texas. 
Uh, last week, I called Texas the most overrated team in the entire country. They come out and allow Maryland to score the most points they have scored on an FBS team since 2007. Wow. 51, that. 51 to 41. And Maryland's quarterback got injured. Their backup came in. It did not matter who was running the ball. Maryland didn't really throw it all that much. They didn't need to. If you watch that game and you had no inkling of the history of college football and you didn't know Texas was a blue blood program and you just asked this observer to say, which is the program with the better players? It looked like Maryland. They were faster. They were more physical. They hit well. They tackled well. They were coached well. Um, I don't think it's any reason to panic with a new coach at Texas. He's got a lot of work to do, and it's going to take a lot more than one season. Well, it's like you said. Even he didn't think they should have been ranked in the top 25 exactly. last year, last yeah. week. So he was right. They are they are a little bit away, um, but they, they did not look good. They wilted under the Texas heat. And then finally, the one that I'm probably the most proud about, and I didn't even call this as a win. I thought they were going to lose last week was California. Um, I thought Cal was going to be better than most people thought, and they proved me right. We spent an inordinate amount of time for kind of an irrelevant program on last week's podcast talking about Cal because new coach and we really were interested in the staff that was assembled. I watched the game yesterday, the replay of the game, and they looked thinner faster and they tackled which no one on Cal has tackled since the days of Jeff Tedford in the mid 2000s so um, they could still go two and ten or three and nine but it looks like they may have fixed things a little bit quicker than we thought I read something that thought Cal is a bull team because of that game I think that's a little premature (laughs) to be frank North Carolina looked like shit they did, and they did lose a lot yeah. from last year, including Mitchell Trubisky, who I think we will talk about in the NFL portion a little bit later. But Cal still looked better than anticipated. Uh, I think that they are going to give some teams a run, including, and they're going to sneak up, and they're going to get a win. They could get a win over one of the teams that we were wrong about, which was UCLA. We spent. I mean, a, how wrong were we really? You're right. It was 44 <laughs> to 10, and Texas A&M's quarterback got injured. But for some reason, they still decided to throw the ball. Their backup quarterback went three for 17. You can take uh, a coach out of an air raid system, but sometimes you can't take the air raid out of a coach. Someone's an old air raid guy, and. They've been running all over them. For some reason, quarterback gets hurt. You keep throwing. You give them a couple, honestly, BS touchdowns. They shouldn't have lost the game, but that's just classic, classic Texas A&M. That was what Texas A&M did before someone was even there. It's just something with that program. They choke. I don't think it means UCLA is good. Uh, their defense sucks. Uh, their run defense really sucks. Yeah, their run defense still allowed over 400 yards. I will say... They showed more fight than I ever thought they had in them. Uh, did not 
I thought they would quit. I thought they would quit when they were down by way less than 34 points. So with that, I am in, am impressed with the way they fought back. Uh, I Josh Rosen, he had 250 yards in the fourth quarter. A lot of them were jump balls. That Texas A&M defense got tired. They are not in great shape at all, which you're talking about Texas and Texas A&M. Those are two defenses that have spent the entire summer in the Texas heat. I think they should be in better shape. Well, I'm guessing that those programs have indoor athletic facilities and the cushy nature of the facilities arm race in college football. Seems to backfire at times. I think that may have been one of them. It makes makes teams a little bit softer than, uh, than their coaches may want. Another one we got wrong, Tennessee, Georgia Tech. Technically, we got it wrong just because we thought Georgia Tech was going to win. The game went into double overtime, so... We have to count that as a loss, but Georgia Tech had 600 yards of offense, going 500 yards on the ground. Tennessee's Tennessee had a very passive game plan against the triple option. They didn't do a lot of stunts. They didn't do a lot of blitzes. They didn't line up on a lot of different fronts. Georgia Tech knew exactly what Tennessee was going to do every single time. That said, Georgia Tech lost because it looked to me like they play 11 guys on defense. They don't sub. Nothing. Week one, fatigue. You see it all over the place. End of the game, they wore down, and Tennessee was just running their basic stuff and getting huge yards. Completely sidetrack here. You said that you think they played 11 players. Arizona State actually really did only play 11 players on defense the entire second half. Um, We didn't talk at all about Arizona State. We're probably not going to talk about Arizona State that much that year. Just an interesting fact that they played only 11 players their entire second half on defense. That is what we call a red flag for conference play. Yes. And then uh, the other one that we got that we missed on last week and actually we both said that we wouldn't be surprised if this happened was Virginia Tech West Virginia. We have to say we got it wrong just because we both picked West Virginia to win. It was a great game, but Virginia Tech did uh, emerge with a seven-point victory, so technically we got that one wrong as well. I thought West Virginia would run the ball early more than they did. They got, once again, air raid coach gets a little pass happy early on. Early on the season, wants to work his guns out a little bit. And then Virginia Tech, I mentioned last week, very creative in the running game. West Virginia could not adjust to it, especially at the end of the game. So one more that we actually got right, and it's going to segue into our uh, first game that we're going to talk about this week was Ohio State-Indiana. Ohio State started a little slow and then came on in the second half. Um, Not surprising at all. New offensive coordinator, new system, same quarterback, but JT Barrett, you know, it takes him a while to get in the swing of things. Once he got comfortable in that game, though, that offense just took off. And it's like you said last week, they looked faster. They looked like a better, more complete offense than they did at any time last year. The concern is that you look at their big plays and they were plays of individual achievement rather than scheme. Uh, they still can't throw the ball downfield. Uh, they, uh, I believe they had a long touchdown run and mesh where they had uh, Mesh in the middle, clear outs on the outside, hit a guy on the cross, and he just runs for a touchdown. This week against Oklahoma, they are not against inferior inferior athletes. They're against an 
probably an inferior defensive coordinator. But when it comes to talent, uh, I do not think that they'll be able to get those same chunk plays that they did last week. And the offensive line looked like shit, too. The offensive line did look really bad, especially in the first half. That's another team unit that they're a lot more experienced looking on looking at their roster. They're, they're very experienced, so I was a little surprised that they didn't gel. They, they, Ohio State always kind of plays patty kick up front the first month of the season, and they start knocking people around toward the end. I don't know what about that scheme is a causes them to start slow, but that's what happens. Yeah, well, they can't do that this week, which brings us to the first big game of this week. There are some very big ones. First one, Oklahoma against these Ohio State Buckeyes. The game is in the horseshoe, which I think could actually be a deciding factor. I think this is going to be a close game, but I think Ohio State is the better team and I do think that they're going to get the job done if JT Barrett limits the mistakes. Now, he's a fifth-year, sixth-year, whatever, Seventh. senior quarterback. He's got to be the one that they lean on. And I think he can. I think he can do it. I think he's going to have to do it more with his legs than his arm. He's going to have to keep that Oklahoma defense honest. Um, you know, they'll hit a couple runs. They'll creep up. And then just throw your jump balls to your big-bodied receivers, which Ohio State has been doing for the last 20 years, it seems like. Oklahoma, so last year, Ohio State went into Norman, Oklahoma, and scored 45 points on the Sooners. I don't think that's going to happen this year. Even though the fact that Ohio State probably has more weapons on offense, and I'd say their defense is better, I think Oklahoma's going to score more points this year, and then turn will probably drop Ohio State's points as well. I think Oklahoma was reeling last year from their loss to Houston as well. So they they lost that game, and they were thinking they got tight. They are thinking, I have we have to win this game. There's no way we can start 0-2. You know, and then they got tight. And Ohio State, remember I remember that game last year. Ohio State played much looser, played much faster, played much more comfortable. Whereas Oklahoma was playing not to lose. And Oklahoma this year played, I think, Tulsa, something like that, won 56 to 7. They are going to be playing very loose as well, which is why I think it's going to be a closer game than it was last year. Also, if you look at it last year, the Oklahoma lost to Ohio State and then didn't lose the rest of the season. They have not lost another game since then. Um, that might have been one of those times you get your ass kicked and you're a lot better for it. We will see also Lincoln Riley in his first big, big game coming into the horseshoe against Urban Meyer, one of the great coaches in the history of college football. So that'll be – it's going to be a very, very interesting game. Ohio State, not always impervious at home, despite the big crowd dotting of the eye and all of that. So it should be a close game. Got a, got a prediction for us? I got to go Ohio State. Gotta go Ohio State. Ohio State by a touchdown. I think it's gonna be Ohio State by four. I think it's gonna be 31-27. Ohio State is my prediction. The uh another big game this week, uh national champion Clemson Tigers against the Auburn Tigers. I'm very interested to see this one. Uh 
the quarterback for Clemson, I thought, was Deshaun Watson on Saturday. I know they were playing, I think, Akron or Kent State or someone like that. Um, but Kent State. So Kent State. But he was number two, good arm, fast legs, thought he looked good. I thought Deshaun Watson was still out there. Um, it's going to be a little different case this year or this week going up against that SEC defense. I think that I'm not sold on Auburn being a threat to Clemson. I don't think Clemson's a national title team this year, but I don't think that Auburn is either. I haven't seen anything from them that would indicate that they're ready to go into Clemson and win. Um, They got a good defense, and they run that little Mickey Mouse offense where they're running wishbone, beer, wing tee, flex bone, everything under the sun. Clemson, as one of the more de- creative defensive coordinators in college football. So I would I will make a bold prediction and say Auburn will not score more than 21 points. That is a bold <laughs> prediction, especially since many people think Auburn is the second best team in the SEC. I've spent my life watching Auburn disappoint fans and pollsters aside 2004 and 2000. 11. 11 and 13 aside. But those most all those years were years where they had no hype at all. They're better under the radar. So I, I'm skeptical. This And this year they definitely have the hype. But that just goes to show you the juggernaut that Alabama is. Because everyone still talks about the SEC being one of the best conferences, if not the best conference in the country. And you have Alabama, and then you have Auburn, who has a lot of questions. LSU, who has a lot of questions. Georgia, who has a lot of questions. And a backup quarterback. And a backup quarterback now. Texas A&M, who we just watched them a completely fall apart. Dumpster fire. Florida, who has questions. I mean, Alabama is holding up this entire conference, and they have been for the last couple of years. Yeah, I don't think it's anywhere close to the strongest conference anymore. I don't think there's any question about that. I think the Big Ten and the ACC ACC have passed it substantially. Uh, Sometimes when you have a dominating team in the conference, everybody else rises to the occasion, uh, which, you know, that happened with Nebraska in the mid-90s and the Big and in the Big 12. That's how Kansas State got good. That's why Texas A&M was good for that's a how, while. That's how Texas ended up with Mac Brown because 8-4 was just not getting it done in Texas. You know what conference is going through that right now is the Pac-12. Now, the team that started them on their rise that everyone had to catch up to was Oregon. And now a lot of schools have passed Oregon. But that is a conference where everyone was built up based on the ability of one school to go to a couple national championship games. The Pac-12, very, very, very entertaining conference. I think eight, nine teams could make a bowl game, depending on you know it records. Could, it could even be more than that. Yeah, I think nine to ten teams should make a bowl game. You, they, you look at USC just dominated the conference. Oregon took it over with a revolutionary style of play. Stanford was Stanford, then Stanford got built up from Harbaugh. UW got built up from Mike or for uh, for Chris Peterson, Mike Leach at WSU. Rich Rodriguez made it a championship game. 
at Arizona. Kyle Whittingham has been at Utah forever since Urban Meyer and has done good things there. They're the only team in the Pac-12 South that hasn't made a uh, Pac-12 championship game. And it seems like in the last week before the Pac-12 championship game, Utah is always playing to get into the Pac-12 championship There's, game. They always have a chance. And always, always losing. To Colorado. <laughs> they're either losing to Colorado or if they're beating Colorado, the USC-UCLA winner is going to be the one to go. Um, so the Pac-12 is that exact conference that we, we were talking about. Now back to Auburn-Clemson. I'm with you. I think the Clemson Tigers are going to win this game. I think that they're going to pull away in the second half. And by that, I mean, I think they're going to win by 10. I think it's probably going to be a 34-24 or 24-14. I can see Auburn scoring more than 21 points, but if they don't, it won't surprise me. But I think Auburn's going to win this, or I think Clemson is going to win this game. I think Clemson's going to win 45-21. to 21. There you go. It's going to be a yawner, and that's the way it is. That's going to be – that's a big prediction right there. That's a 3 versus 12, I think. So that's a big prediction I'm right there. I'm feeling bold. Yeah, I can tell. Well, I'm excited to see what you have to say about our next game, which is a Pac-12 battle. I love the fact that these teams play early, Stanford and USC. Uh, they have played in September every year. It feels like the last five years. The games have always been good. The only year that I remember them playing later in the season was when Ed Ogeron was in one of his interim roles. Stanford came in either undefeated with one loss, and SC beat them thanks to Stanford fumbling every single time they got the 10-yard line. The last couple times that Stanford has lost to USC, Stanford has given the game away. I do not think that's going to be the case this year. I think USC is good enough to where they can just beat them straight up. I think Stanford's quarterback is hot garbage. I was going to say they have a question at quarterback. I wasn't going to go as far as hot garbage, but you are in a bold mood today. I, was, I like I was it. One I, of, like I was it. one of the 12 people that watched them play Rice. And Rice had a bunch. Their defensive linemen probably weighed 230 pounds, which against Stanford, that's you know almost cheating. Every single route he threw, every pass, everything was at least one just one tick late. Rice almost had about five interceptions. I think they actually had a couple. And if Rice can get it, I think SC can. The caveat is that occasionally my I'm a fan of Clancy Pendergast, but sometimes he just sucks. I think it, it, he outthinks himself. He's like I'm going to blitz, and I'm going to get burned. So the only way to stop getting burned again is with another blitz. So I'm going to blitz again, and then he gets burned again. He I, Yeah, I think you're right. And then he thinks himself, because sometimes the schemes are very creative, almost to the point of just being totally non-functional. You get some teams that just play straight-ahead football with him, and they just carve him up. And that's what Stanford does. And that's why I think this game is going to be close. Not to mention, USC didn't look that great last week. They had that 28-point fourth quarter in order to pull away from West, from Western Michigan. I know Western Michigan was a uh, still BCS a, still game. still a small conference team. That right. game shouldn't have been as close as it was. SC, you, I can understand some of the hiccups because you're replacing those two receivers that are that were just thoroughbreds from last year. Don't remember their names. 
Juju Smith, I think, and then uh, Darius Rogers. Yep, and you're replacing a Dory Jackson, your number one corner. And so I get it. Um, I think they're playing in the Coliseum. I believe so. And if that's, I don't know what time that game is. If it's a, if it's a night in the Coliseum, that is always, always a tough game to win. You know that Stanford's gonna be ready to play. Stanford. That's the great thing about Stanford is they're always ready to play USC. Uh, the Washington schools last year, maybe not, but they are always ready to play USC. Even in the height of USC's dominance, Stanford. 2007, they beat them. 2008, they barely lost to them. Stanford, you know okay. what? It's funny. Stanford had the was the largest underdog ever to win a game until this weekend. That's true. When UNLV, as a 45-point favorite, lost. You have to wonder what the odds makers were thinking ever favor, favoring UNLV by that many points. Even against, I don't even know who the hell they played. Pretty sure they played like Howard. Howard. Still, shame on you, Vegas. You should know better. Well, they were <laughs> blinded by the fact that UNLV is in Vegas. So uh, with this game, I think USC is going to come out a little bit better than they did last week. I think they are going to win. I'm going to say USC 27 20. I'm going to say 27 20. I'm going to say USC 20 to 14. That is the one of only two losses for Stanford all season, in my predict, in my opinion. I think they're going to start humming along. Um, because they're not going to be playing a lot of teams where that inability to throw the football is really going to matter. One of the games that I'm guessing you have them beating is the University of Notre Dame. Um, speaking of Notre Dame, they are playing the University of Georgia. That is what we call a segue. Thank you well very much. Done. Thank you. My broadcasting degree <laughs> comes into play again. Um, yes, Notre Dame, Georgia. Uh, we do this podcast last week. I'm a lot more comfortable picking Georgia to win. Then Jacob Eason goes out and gets injured. And now, and Notre Dame runs for 900 yards against, I don't even know who they play against. Probably that feels like they play them every year in the opener, but I feel, I still think Georgia is, has enough that they are going to, get the job done against Notre Dame. I am a huge Nick Chubb fan. Nick Chubb is still there. He is. You're kidding me. Nick Chubb is still there. And all of the hype around SEC in the in the summer was how the replacement for Leonard Fournette at LSU is the best running back in the SEC. I disagree. I think it's Nick Chubb. I think he is the best rece- the best running back i think he's going to have 1500 yards this year and he is going to win sec offensive player of the year that is my prediction well we can reference that in 3 months and see if you're actually right um, for the record Notre Dame rushed 422 yards and five touchdowns including one guy that had 20 yards of carry Okay. But Temple has no one up front. Georgia, a little bit different. Uh, it'll be a closer game than I thought it would be because Eason is out. But in at Georgia, they do seem to grow their quarterbacks on trees. Um, 
They never, ever seem to do anything in the NFL. Yeah. So aside from Matt Stafford, but there's a, there's a long legacy of guys like DJ Shockley and David Green and Aaron Murray. Uh, Nothing from them. However, I think they'll be okay. It'll be a close game. Notre Dame will hang there for a while, and then Brian Kelly will probably play six or seven quarterbacks and screw it up. Yeah, I think I just hand the ball to Nick Chubb. Hand the ball to that running back. Let him go to town. Toss sweep. Gotta love it. Get get behind those big, big offensive linemen and let them do some dirty work. Uh, another game that is near and dear to my heart and the other podcaster as well, Boise State, Washington State. Both of us are WSU alumni. So we have, in fact, we went to Pullman last week, finally saw a opening victory for the first time in six years in the Mike Leach era. Montana State was not very good. so They tackled well. They did. They did. Um, Luke Falk was happy to just dink and dunk. You know, he took no shots downfield. He didn't have to, not with James Williams getting 13 I, catches I, I, for I 160 yards. I would have liked yards. to see more throws downfield anyway. Well, I think you're going to have your chance this week. I think he's going to have to against Boise State. I don't think that they're just going to let those running backs do whatever they want. I mean, James Williams had over 200 yards of total offense, and he was the second-leading rusher on the team. So Last year, Boise beat Wazoo. Uh, Boise had a big lead early because they dropped 7-8 and eight in the coverage and made Luke Falk check down. That was always the um, game plan last year to beat him. Uh, so that's what Minnesota did. That's what Colorado did. That's what Boise did. Washington just steamrolled them because they were that much better. I think that was also before they really got the three-headed running back monster in sync. Was was before that. I think James Williams is a huge X factor, and they weren't using him that much last year because he was a freshman, and they didn't know how to use him early. Now they know how to use it. They know how to get him the ball in space. Those shovel passes that they ran worked to perfection. And I loved seeing it. I love seeing James Williams in space. The Cougs haven't had a guy that can do that. I can't remember the last one. Bumpus. Michael Bumpus was the last one. And that was 10 years ago. They haven't had a guy who can do damage in space in the last 10 years. Every single year, Mike Leach starts the season with a couple new formations, a couple new ideas, a couple new plays to use the talent he had. He didn't use anything more than his base six plays last week. Uh, inside zone, outside zone, shovel pass. Um, and he, that's it just ran basic stuff. I'm going to guess that there's going to be a lot more different looks for Boise State to handle, but I don't understand how Wazoo is a nine-point favorite because it's still Boise State. They're still going to be well-coached. They're still going to tackle well. They're still going to throw the ball downfield and run and hammer the edges on a smaller defensive line. And so I'm a little bit worried. There is a little bit of a quarterback controversy at Boise State between Brett Rippon and the Kansas transfer, who actually looked better than Brett Rippon last week. 
Um, the coach says that there isn't one, but I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, the other kid gets some more run against against God, against the Cougs because he's a running quarterback and. The Cougs tend to have more problems with running quarterbacks. They had trouble last year. Uh, Montana State had a running quarterback, a very good athlete, and they ran a lot of sweeps, a lot of triple option, a lot of pistol option last week, and the Cougs did a very good job with it. So the difference we'll is, is they didn't have to. They didn't. They didn't have to think that he would throw the ball. I mean, he went two for eight. That is true. So That's they true. could just key in on the run all the time. Well, I don't even I don't know if this Boise State QB can throw either. This is true. This is true. I mean, he was recruited by Kansas, so that doesn't answer that question. That doesn't at mean, all. Yeah, that's a good point. How how talented is this guy? Kansas says oh, we can get him. Let's and then offer him a scholarship. And then Kansas says, "Oh, we have someone better." That's a problem. Which, by the way, is a old WSU quarterback, Peyton Bender is the starting quarterback at Kansas. To toot my own horn here, I was at the 2015 Apple Cup. Peyton Bender single-handedly gave the game away through at least seven or eight interceptions for touchdowns. As I got up to leave the game, I turned to the UW fans behind me who were actually very nice, classy people, maybe because I was seated around a bunch of rich people. But I told them that this was the last time Peyton Bender would throw a pass in a wiser uniform, Turns out I was right. And he was a redshirt <laughs> freshman at the time. So that is a great call. I'm sorry I he, missed that game. He was broken. Yes. So as far as the actual game goes, it's a late night game in Pullman. The fans are not going to know where they are, which could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how the team starts. I think the Cougs have got to get off to a fast start, get the crowd in the game. I think if Boise State quiets them, the crowd will falter. And I think that could have a huge effect. I think that it's 33,000 people, and if the crowd falters a little bit, no one's really going to notice. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game. Wazoo probably will win by a field goal, but I wouldn't be surprised of all, at all if Boise just controlled the game and kind of just squeezed the life out of them. That is a terrifying thought, and I wouldn't be surprised about that either. I'm also going to pick the Kooks to win. Uh, I'm going to pick it a little more comfortable. I'm going to say they win by 7-10, to 10, but Boise State could get them, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. One more college game, and then we're going to get to some NFL, is Nebraska-Oregon. Um, I work with someone who's an Oregon alumni, and he said Rose Bowl bound. By the way, Rose, the Rose Bowl is a national championship game after they beat Southern Utah last week. Well, I mean, you can't just beat Southern Utah. I mean, that's, that's a tough game. The surprising thing to me was this was the most yards that Oregon has ever had with the last 10 years with all those great offenses. It was a Willie Taggart team that had the most yards. And they played teams like Southern Utah in the past. I don't know if it was just Willie Taggart just wanting to keep going, keep going, because he's a new coach and he just wanted to press the issue. But they were still running the ball in the fourth quarter like they meant it, which... I think that back in the days of Chip Kelly and the early days of Mark Helfrich, when they're playing a crappy team, they call plays like they're playing against a crappy team. Basic stuff, nothing cute. Game, they hit 40 or 50 points and the, the scrubs are coming in. 
So I wouldn't read too much into the fact that they dropped 77 points. I mean, it's Southern Utah. So Nebraska, I think that Mike Riley will either be fired at the end of this year or the end of next year. I think that hire was an absolute mistake meant to appease boosters who did not like Bo Pelini's uh, fire and I mean, his intense attitude. So they get an off shucks guy in Mike Riley. And I like Mike Riley. I think it sounds like he's a very nice person. He is a good football coach, but the hire didn't make any sense to me. He's a modern day Bill Doba, a great guy. One of the nicest people out there and not a great head coach. Uh, They, they won more games than they should have last year because of an easy schedule. You get them against an elite team, and they're just going to get destroyed. That being said, Oregon is not an elite team. So this should be an interesting game. I think that uh, Nebraska, I think Oregon's probably feeling a little bit too good about themselves. And I wouldn't be surprised. I think Nebraska's going to come in and beat them. And people are going to think Nebraska's better than they are because they won in Oregon. But Nebraska will come in, they'll beat them by a field goal, and... Oregon fans are going to be like, yeah, shit, here we go again. I completely agree that Nebraska is going to come in and beat Oregon. I think Oregon's going to read their press clippings a little bit from everyone saying they're back after beating Southern Utah. Um, And Oregon, I I still don't trust that defense. I think Nebraska is going to wear on them. And I do think Nebraska is going to come in and win this game as well. Jim Levitt, Oregon's defensive coordinator, likes to play a lot of man coverage. Oregon doesn't have the horses to play man coverage against any major conference team, really. So that's going to be a problem. All right. So that is our college football section. But we also have NFL Week 1. Thank God. So let's, let's cheers to that. And let's start talking a little bit about... The NFL, because it is back, ladies and gentlemen, and we are all thrilled about it. First game is the Patriots-Chiefs. Now, by the time this podcast is up, that game will probably have already been played, but we can still talk about it a little bit on what we think is going to happen. Anecdotal memory tells me that no Super Bowl winner since the Thursday games have started has begun the season playing the Thursday game at home and lost. I like how you bring in the at home because the one time, you are right, the one time the team did lose, it was the Ravens when Peyton Peyton Manning threw seven touchdowns in the opener in that historic offense started. And And that was the year I recall scrambling to get online to see if Julius Thomas was available on the waiver wire after that game. I put a claim in. I couldn't get to him. Devastating. Um, that is what I remember most about that game. The Chiefs are the masters against an elite team on the road of the back door cover. It's Dennis Erickson esque. Uh, I think the line is seven, eight points. If it's seven, you know they're going to get a, a last minute touchdown and and lose like. 31 to 27 or something like that. They'll have a two-minute drill that takes seven minutes. It's a nine-point line. 
nine point line, that means they're losing by a touchdown. Definitely. They're going to get a field goal late. Backdoor cover. Patriots, they don't have Julian Edelman this year. If you think that's really going to matter, they're still going to win 11 or 12 games. They're still going to go deep in the playoffs. They probably won't win the Super Bowl, but that's that. They just replaced Julian Edelman with Brandon Cooks, who I think is better anyways. He's, he's, he's faster, but he's not the same route runner. And he doesn't he doesn't have as good a hands. As far as pushing off, no. I think that Julian Edelman catch in the Super Bowl last year was the one of the best catches I have ever seen. And I still, I, I, I watched the replay about a week ago. I still have no idea how that didn't hit the ground. Well, there was another notable catch in a Patriots Super Bowl. There's a couple of them. One of them, which I won't even mention by Jermaine Pierce. Pour some out for him. Um, and then the helmet catch. Well, and the catch on the sideline by Mario Manningham in the other Super Bowl yeah. against the Giants, too. So the Patriots are in the Super Bowl. The game's going to be decided by a touchdown or less, and there will be some wackadoodle catch going on. You can pretty much put that in the <laughs> bank. Um I have Rob Gronkowski on my fantasy team, so I'm hoping he does very well. By the way, the two podcasters here are going against each other in week one for the sixth straight year. And the winner of this week usually wins the division. Um, It has been the other one the last two years. And I have to start Scott Tolzien as my quarterback because of everything that's going on with Hurricane Irma and Jameis Winston was my normal starter. So, Congratulations on your division championship. I'm just going to say that right now. Thank you. Um, it's an honor. I plan to continue my role as Marty Schottenheimer and lose in the first or second round in hilarious fashion after having the best record in the league for the fifth year in a row. Didn't you lose by a half point last year? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. So the answer to that question is yes. Getting back to the game, I do think the Patriots are going to win and... I think I do think the Chiefs running back is going to have a good game. Uh, the rookie, uh, Kadeem Hunt, Kareem Hunt, something like that. The guy that's replacing Spencer Ware, I think he's going to have a good game. I think he is a good fantasy pickup for anyone who uh, is looking for a running back, and for some reason he's still available. But I do think the Patriots are going to win. The other big game, the real big game in my opinion, that even though it's week one, no hyperbole could determine home field advantage in the NFC is the Seahawks against the Packers. This is the third year in a row the Seahawks have played the Packers in Green Bay. The last two years have not ended well for the Seahawks. I This is going to be an interesting game. Honestly, I have no idea who is going to win. I think the Packers are a three-point favorite. You get three points for being the home team, so it is a pickup. You're correct. They are a three-point favorite. I There's two ways this game goes. One is the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, runs around, does his whole little thing, hits guys scrambling, and they score about 30, 35 points. And then uh, the Seahawks can't throw the ball because their guys can't get open against man coverage. Their offensive line can't protect against Dom Capers' blitzes, even though he's been running the same blitzes since he was the D.C. for the Steelers in 1993. So there's two ways this game goes. I would think that since it's early in the season, the CX are pretty healthy and they just got Sheldon Richardson. They're going to come out thumping people. 
they didn't play a lot of that really violent soul taking defense that they had last that they that they become known for last year, especially once Earl Thomas got hurt. Uh, and they didn't play any of it in the preseason. They were really really soft in the middle, uh, which they kind of changed with adding Sheldon Richardson. Packers are the Packers. You know exactly what they're going to run. You know how they're going to attack you. It's the same stuff. It's just a matter if you can keep Rodgers in the pocket and cover the wide receivers. I am very interested to see if Aaron Rodgers is going to throw Richard Sherman at all. Because the last time these two teams met in the opener, it was in Seattle. But Aaron Rodgers did not throw at Sherman one time. He usually avoids him. The Seahawks will either have Jeremy Lane or a rookie on the other side. I think it's going to be the rookie. I think Lane's going to be in the slot. So they're going to have Shaquille Griffin, the rookie. So look for the number two receiver, Randall Cobb or Devontae Adams, to get a lot of touches. Uh, Last year, the Seahawks started moving Sherman around a little bit more. Uh, to cover the number one wideout, I think they're going to do that a little bit more with him covering Jordy Nelson. I don't think Jordy's going to have a big game. It's going to be the number two or number three receiver. Or Ty Montgomery, who still is weird to me as a running back. I don't know if he's changed his number, but still seeing number 88 as a running back is weird to me. Um, but if Green Bay wins, it's because Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Martellus Bennett, Someone other than Jordy Nelson has a huge game. If you look at if you at the end of the game, if you look at Aaron Rodgers' passing chart, and ninety percent of the throws will be either on the middle left or the left side of the field, then it's tight ends always kill the Seahawks, and they'll throw to whoever's lined up on the left side. Aaron Rodgers doesn't like using his tight ends all that much, so I He's think the exact opposite of Brett Favre in that regard. I think it's going to be interesting. I'm going to say the Seahawks win a very close game, something in the 24 to 23 range. I think it's going to be a one-point game, but I think the Seahawks will pull out a victory. So you want me to die of a heart attack? That's yes. I don't want week you. One, week one, you want me to have a heart attack. I don't want you to die of a heart attack, but I'm just saying that's what I think is going to happen. But if they win, you would take it, right? Yeah, and then I'd pass out. There you go. All right, now it's time to get to our upset pick of the week. Um, And I'm going to let my esteemed colleague talk to you about this one. Okay, so the Atlanta Falcons are a road favorite at the Chicago Bears by a full touchdown. First rule of week one is always watch out for the road favorites. Second rule of NFL football is there's always a hangover the next season for Super Bowl losers. The third rule is watch out for new offensive coordinators in prolific offenses. I did not know that rule. Please elaborate. I could give you many historical instances where you're watching a team that was great one year, the next year, confusingly, they suck. The 98 Vikings, Brian Billick of all people is calling plays for them. Record-setting offense. 1999 comes along. I don't know. He went to coach the Ravens. They were good. They were good. 
but a much different style of good. They had Jeff George. They got killed in the playoffs. It just it didn't click. There's multiple historical examples of an offensive coordinator leaving, a new guy coming in expecting to keep the lead pace up. Something to be wary of. Shanahan's in San Francisco. Steve Sarkeesian and a bottle of tequila are in the coach's booth. For the <laughs> well said. Well said. Um, the Chicago Bears lost seven of their 12 or 13 losses last year by seven points or less. I did not know that. So that's a team that doesn't know how to close. That's a young team that had instability at the quarterback position and still was competitive. Defense, the defense is deceptively good. They have a decent running back, not as good as everyone thinks. And they have a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterback is a concern. But it's also a wild card. Look at the way Carson Wentz started last year. The number two pick in the draft last year started, what, 3-0? and And he started by killing teams because they didn't expect it from him. I'm not saying Mitchell Trubisky is going to be Carson Wentz, but I'm saying it has been known to happen before. So that is true when you have a good offensive coordinator. Uh, Carson Wentz benefited from a very creative offensive coach. If you look at the resume of the Chicago Bears offensive coordinator. Who would it be? Dowell Loggins. Never say, heard of him. Say no more. The Tennessee Titans, the Cleveland Browns, and the Chicago Bears. There's not a lot of high-powered offenses involved in there. Granted, this is his first season as an offensive coordinator, which means, hey, he could come up with some wild shit. That said, it's going to be a low-scoring game. Matt Ryan's not going to get a rhythm going. They're going to be sluggish. Falcons never is good on the road. And if you think they're just going to pick up where they left off last year, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. Bears are going to win this. They got the wrong team favorite. All right, there you go. There is our upset of the week. Brought to you by Yeti Imperial Stout. Not officially. They're not a sponsor. We're just drinking it right now. And it is delicious. Let me tell you that. All right. So those are the the three games that we wanted to talk about. Uh, Now we're going to talk a little bit about a preview of the NFL, so to speak. Some division winners, uh, maybe who's going to get in the Super Bowl and our Super Bowl champion. So let's start with the NFC North. Let's start with the Packers or the Lions. Who? Or the Vikings, who do you got? Are the Vikings starting Sam Bradford at quarterback? They are. They're not winning a division. Okay. Is Jim but, Caldwell still coaching the Lions? They are. Or he is. The Green Bay Packers are going to win the NFC North. Okay, so there you go. The Packers are going to win the North. I think the Vikings are going to be okay. I think Dalvin Cook is going to have a, a good rookie year. Um, and I think they are going to make the playoffs. But I'm with you. I think the Packers are winning the division. If anybody other than the Packers is making the playoffs in that division, it's the Lions. I'm not a big fan of the Lions. They just they're just, you know, a nine they're a nine and seven, ten and six team. They're not gonna threaten really anybody. Uh, the Vikings offensive line is a little shaky. The defense is good. The quarterback situation sucks. Uh, they, they'll go eight and eight. Bears will go six and ten. 
All right, there you go. So we have our first disagreement in our first division. Now we're going to go to the NFC East, where the Cowboys reigned supreme last year. Uh, I, whether or not Elliott has that suspension, I am a lot higher on the Giants than I am on the Cowboys. I think the Brandon Marshall signing was perfect. I think he is a great red zone addition for Eli. The defense, this is the first case where free agents leading a defense will basically was successful, and I think that will continue. And I have the Giants winning the NFC East. I cannot disagree with you because the Dallas Cowboys will fall victim to the rule of Steve Bono. You don't know what the rule of Steve Bono is, do you? I do not. Can you please elaborate on the rule of a Steve Bono? A surprise 13-3 season will inevitably be followed by a 9-7 record or worse. I use that because the 1995 Chiefs, after the retirement of Joe Montana in 94, had Steve Bono at quarterback. Who is Steve Bono? Steve Bono was the backup for Joe Montana in Kansas City and San Francisco. The Chiefs go 13-3 and 95, losing the playoffs because of Marty Schottenheimer, previously mentioned. 1996, 9-7. Titans, 2008, 13-3. 2009, 9-7, 10-6. Chiefs, 1997, 13-3. 1998, 9-7. All right, there you go. So we both have the Giants winning that division. Uh, NFC West, it's going to come down to the Seahawks and Cardinals. A lot of people say it could come down to the last week of the season, which is the Seahawks against the Cardinals. I think the Seahawks are going to win the division. Uh, I think the Cardinals could challenge for a playoff spot. I don't think they're going to get it. I don't see a bounce back year for Carson Palmer. I think his best years are behind him, and I think next year they have a new starting quarterback. We agree once again. Uh, Bruce Arians, if you look at his resume, give him five years, he wears that as welcome anywhere. His style of coaching, screaming, swearing, insulting, just doesn't last. Carson Palmer's old. He's on two bionic knees. The defense has a lot of toys, but no real identity, and losing Calais Campbell is going to be big. Seahawks are going to run away with this. Rams will be unexpectedly competitive. With Goff? As will the 49ers. But the Seahawks will still run away with it. Goff will be the win 13 to 9 every week. Okay. So it's going to be the defense. Do you think Aaron Donald comes back? I think they trade him. Okay. There you go. There's another bold prediction. And then uh, the NFC South, I left this for last because this could be the one we talk about the most. All of the divisions in football. Um, you got Atlanta, who won it last year. You got Tampa Bay, who's a pick that a lot of people like. Carolina was in the Super Bowl the year before. And then the Saints have Drew Brees, so you never know. Um, I think I'm actually thinking Tampa Bay is going to win this division, and Atlanta is going to get a wild card. Um, I like Jameis. I like Mike Evans. I like the addition of Deshaun Jackson and the addition of O.J. Howard from uh, Alabama. I think that those are both good additions that only help the offense, and I think Tampa Bay is winning this division. I will quickly disagree with you. Dirk Cutter sucks. He's not leading a playoff team. He shows you all of his cards as a play caller in the first half. It's unsustainable. They've got a talented team. They'll win a lot of games in the future, not with Dirk Cutter. Dalkins are going to take a step back. I think a team can win this division at 9-7. and seven. They'll probably be Carolina. All right, so there is your NFC division winners. We've got the Seahawks, the Packers, the Giants, and then 
you say the Panthers, and I say the Bucks. So let's go to the NFC East where we have the Patriots. So let's go to the NFC North. <laughs> I mean, AFC North. Yes, the yeah. AFC North with the Patriots. Or, excuse me, AFC East with the Patriots, AFC North. The Steelers, or. I think it's got to be the Steelers. It has you to know, be the Steelers. Like, they're, they're, this is probably the last couple years of this current era of Pittsburgh. Bengals, there's that's that's an eight and eight team. Ravens are a year away. Cleveland sucks. There you go. I'm with you. I think it's going to be the Steelers. I don't think another team is going to make the playoffs from that division. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ravens, I think, are not a year away because of Joe Flacco. Because I don't think Joe Flacco's a year away. Um, I think he's going. They're going to be worse the longer they keep Flacco. Um, but I'm with you that I think the Steelers are going to are going to win that division. I disagree with that regarding Flacco. I think he's a fine quarterback, but we can argue about that all season. And I am sure we will. And I'm looking forward to it. AFC South, probably the worst division in football. It's garbage. <laughs> you've got Tennessee. You've got Houston. You've got Indianapolis. Any one of those three teams I could see winning the division. I could see 6-10 and ten winning the division. Tennessee, once again, it's the dirt cutter thing. It, Mike Malarkey, is, I, I don't trust the guy. Maybe he'll back into a playoff berth, uh, but that's another instance where talented team, in the future they're going to win games. they got a great offensive line, running backs, defense getting built up, but not with Mike Malarkey. Colts are shit. Texans are going to win again and lose in the first round of the playoffs again at home at nine and seven. I do think Deshaun Watson is the right, right answer for Houston at quarterback. Not this year, but I thought that it was a great pickup for them moving up and and drafting him. I, I agree. I thought Cleveland should have taken him at twelve, but they decided to trade with Houston to get Deshaun Watson, I think they're going to regret that. They must have really liked him. Otherwise, they would have picked him and ruined his life. That's a solid point. That's a solid point. Okay, I'm with you, by the way. I think the Texans are going to win just because they have a very good defense. Hopefully, J.J. Watt is healthy. Just because when he's healthy, it's just so fun to watch. And, you know, they don't need a lot from their offense. And then the AFC West. um, I think the AFC West goes through Oakland. I, David Carr is healthy. That offense has been put together very well. You built from the offensive line out, and now you've got probably the second best offensive line in football. You've got a very good receiver in, in uh, Amari Cooper, and Michael Crabtree is a solid number two. You've got David Carr. You've got Marshawn Lynch. I think that team is going to win the AFC West. I think the Chargers are going to be better than people think, but they're not going to make the playoffs. I, I agree about the Chargers. Uh, and did you notice that all those players, the Raiders you mentioned, only played on one side of the ball? I did. That's because their defense is awful. I'm sorry that I didn't mention Khalil Mack. <laughs> Khalil Mack is good. Bruce Irvin is good. That secondary is bad. When it gets down to crunch time late in the season, I think you're going to look at Kansas City – 10 and 6. San Diego, I agree with you. They're going to be a lot better than people think. Uh, Denver is just going to sit there at 8 and 8 and spin their wheels for a year. 
but I disagree with you with the Raiders. All right. So then the AFC divisions that we have are both with the Patriots, both with the Steelers, both with the Texans. I've got the Raiders. You've got the Chiefs. Really, really quick, let's talk about a Super Bowl matchup and a Super Bowl winner. My Super Bowl matchup is Patriots against the Packers, and I have the Packers winning the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers over Tom Brady. It hurts to say it because I am a Seahawks fan. I do, even though I picked the Seahawks to win today or win, win week one, I do think the Packers are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Well, I disagree. I think that... Well, I hope so, because if you agree, this just wouldn't be fun. The Packers are not going to win the Super Bowl. Um, I think it would be awfully homeristic of me to pick the Seahawks. So I'm going to go with the Giants, because every now and then they just get a wild hair and make a run. They've got a lot of talent on that team, and I heard that coach is going to... Reduce the size of his menu going from the cheesecake menu to the Red Robin menu. So, Giants, Patriots, three. Giants, one. I love it. I absolutely love it. And if the Giants-Patriots meet in the Super Bowl, I'm going to be thrilled because I I don't think the Giants are going to make the Super Bowl, but I would absolutely love it. So, all right. Well, there is some college football Week two, some NFL week one, some division winners, and our Super Bowl champs. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you guys next week.